are potheads, and then there are people who are overly caffeinated from drinking too much coffee out of a cup, like Stuart. Stuart is a cuphead. Crazy God. Crazy to say. The Lord's Prayer is this really rich, deep statement of Jesus that is found in two different places in the Gospel. Matthew chapter 6 is where it's said most like the way that we say it. And Matthew chapter 6 has a section about prayer and a section about fasting. And if you ever want to read something that's going to just kind of make you make your brain tremble a little bit. Matthew chapter 6 is a great place to start. But we're going to break down the Lord's Prayer a little bit. We're going to take half of it uh, today, and we're going to take half of it next week. And so come back next week to hear the second half. The Lord's Prayer um, can really be broken down into six sections, and they work kind of like a um, like an hourglass, essentially. It starts from wide, it gets narrowed, and then it gets wide again at the bottom. And <coughs> You can kind of think about like your life. The wide point um, is where it's like highly theological, and then it gets down to like feet on the ground type of action, and then it gets wide again to kind of secure all the other stuff that, that we're doing. And so what I want us to do this morning is we're gonna say the Lord's Prayer again together. And I hope that when you say it, like when the kids are in here, that you're saying it as a prayer. And you're not really putting a lot of thought into it because sometimes prayer comes straight from our hearts. And we don't even know exactly what we're saying or why we're saying it. It's just some thoughts that come from our souls and out of our mouths. But when you say it this time, I want you to engage your brain in it and think about the actual words that you're saying and consider what they might mean. I get a lot of questions about the Lord's Prayer, and I hear a lot of theories about the Lord's Prayer. And so I just want to give you my theories this morning and hopefully answer some of your questions. So say this prayer with me. What happened? was John the Baptist had disciples. He, he also was a rabbi, and some of his disciples before his beheading became Jesus' disciples, and then after his beheading, even more of them came over and started following Jesus. And rabbis would teach people how to pray, and the way of what was asked, when, when you would ask a rabbi, Rabbi, teach me, teach me how to pray, you were saying more than like, what does prayer mean, and how does it work, and what's it do for us, and does God really answer our prayers? You were really kind of saying, hey, help me understand what it is that you believe about God. Because I've seen the way you live your life, and it's really different, and I'm trying to understand how you get to that. And so teach me how to pray. And in that prayer that the rabbi would teach was what was called the rabbi's yoke. So you, you might have heard that Jesus said one time, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke is the rabbi's teaching, like the... The, the overarching idea of what the rabbi believed and was about. And so Jesus is teaching what his yoke is through this prayer that we're about to say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, go, go, go slow. Don't do it like football teams before they go out. Play. Our Father, who art in heaven, go, go slow. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our 
trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Yeah, that part's not in the Bible. Did you not know that? Yeah, that's why they, if you go to a Catholic church, you'll do what I just did. You'll say, for thine is the kingdom, and they'll stop, and they'll be like Protestant, like, like they're Protestant. So we have this prayer. And we, I don't know about you, but I've been saying it for a really, really long time. And it's one of those things that people that don't even go to church, they know it. They hear it. They say it. They may call it the Our Father. They may call it the Lord's Prayer. They may not know what it is, but they've heard it before. I can remember when I was in high school, we would, before football games, say the Lord's Prayer before we would go out. I think we thought it was some sort of, like, magic thing that we were conjuring up to help us beat the team we were about to play, which rarely happened, by the way. So... Don't pray like that because it doesn't work. And so, but we would say it really fast. Like, I mean, you couldn't imagine how fast our mother worked on moments if we were so nervous or something. And I remember even then thinking, like, this isn't prayer. What we're doing is not praying. Like, I don't know what we're doing, but it's not prayer because we're not even coming close to thinking as we're doing this. And beyond that, like, nobody's thinking about what they're saying, the words. And so, um, I want us to be able to say this prayer on Sunday mornings or whenever you feel led to pray it with a little bit of understanding. And it's so deep and it's so rich that you won't have all of the understanding. So we're going to start off with the phrase, Our Father. And to get to talk about what it means for Jesus to say Our Father, I need to talk about some other things first. So there's this time... Uh, towards the end of Jesus' life, where he says to his disciples that are following him around, his closest friends and even some extended relationships that he has, uh, he says, don't, don't be afraid, I'm leaving you, but I'll come back. And they're like, where are you going? And he says, in my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I don't know when I'm coming back, but the father knows when I'm coming back, and the father will send me to get you. That is an allusion to marriage. And anybody who heard that in ancient times would have known, or in ancient Judea, would have known that he was talking about marriage because the way it would work is, if I saw a girl, like let's just say her name happened to be Michelle, and I saw this girl Michelle, and I uh, was really into her, and then I got to talk to her a few times, and I was like, yeah, this is, I think I wanna marry this girl. I would go to my dad and I'd say, hey dad, there's this girl, Michelle, I want to marry her, and can you get that arranged? And so it was an arranged marriage of sorts, but the groom had something to say about who he was marrying. The bride, unfortunately, really didn't. And so my dad would then go to Jim Edwards, so this is pretty specific, by the way, would go to Jim Edwards and say, hey Jim, my son Ross is really into your daughter, Michelle, let's figure out how we can make this happen. And then they would start talking about the cost, the, the price that my dad would have to pay to Jim. Because Michelle would have already been making pottery or weaving or something like that and selling those things to be able to make some money for the family. And so it would cost the family for her to leave and go join my dad's family. Not my family, but my dad's family. And so they would work that cost out. And when that cost was worked out, my dad would come back to me and say, now you're engaged start building and i would build a room on to my father's house and it wouldn't have just been my father's house it would have been uh my grandfather's house 
and my great-grandfather's house and my great-great-grandfather's house because when the, the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River, they divided up the land amongst the tribes. And then the tribes divided up the land amongst the families. And so each family had a plot of land that was generation, like hundreds of generations long. And they would build a wall around that piece of land. And in that wall, they would build a house it's called the Four Pillar House. And that house would have basically a ground level. And that's where animals would be brought in if there were lions or whatever around. They would bring the animals in there to keep them safe. They also radiated heat. So up on the second and third floor where the families lived, heat would rise and go up and keep the family. It's kind of gross to think about, but I guess it's better than being cold. And I would have gone and built a room onto that house. And I would start building and building and building and building and building. And when my dad comes along and is like, hey, this, this room that you built is fit to represent our family. This family that I'm in charge of, that I'm overseeing, that I'm making sure everyone is treated well within, and that the least is treated as well as the greatest, and that when somebody's sick, they're being taken care of, and everybody has enough to eat, and, and justice is done, and fairness is there, then when that room represented what my dad wanted his family to represent, he would come to me and he would say, it is finished. Those exact words. Then I would know I could go and get my bride. So I wouldn't know when it was going to happen. Only my father would know. And then I would get to go and get my bride. And then there would be this long, at least one week long wedding ceremony. That's where Jesus turned the water into wine. <coughs> so the father is the representation of everything about what Jesus wanted to be about. And if you think about those stories, where Jesus says things like, the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of God is like that. That's to tell us what it's like in the Father's house when somebody comes back or when justice is done within the Father's house. So remember, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a woman who looks all over her house for one single coin that she's lost, and when she finds it, she has a great celebration. For us, we're kind of like, I don't know, like, I don't, I honestly, I'm not a coin collector, so I don't really have any coins that are that valuable that I would look all over for them. But how many of us have ever lost our car keys? <laughs> the kingdom of God is like somebody who is late to a meeting and cannot find their car keys. And they look, and they look, and they look, and they turn over all the cushions, and they actually decide they're going to make their bed, and they go through all the clothes that they had been wearing, they should be in the dirty clothes hamper, but are not in the dirty clothes hamper. And then eventually they find the keys, and they're so happy that they found the keys. That's what the kingdom of God is like. How many of you like your pets? How many of you love your pets? Some of you put your hands down. <laughs> um, have you ever had a pet that you really loved that got out? And you're like, what? You're going all through your neighborhood. You're, you're like unashamedly yelling out their name out of your car. And people are like, why is that guy driving around yelling Cracker Jack or whatever? <laughs> and like, there's no shame and no fear in it. And you're going to print off all the posters you need and put them on all the, all the telephone poles. And then you find that pet, that feeling you have of like, oh my gosh, my pet is safe. Somebody didn't know I stole it. It didn't get hit by a car. Like, Everything is well with the world as it should be. The kingdom of God.
Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a shepherd who loses one of his sheep. That's what the Father is about. The Father is about celebrating all of those things. The Father is about when someone is sick, coming along and trying to make them better. The Father, we can see who the Father was through Jesus. So Jesus would see people that nobody else would talk and nobody else would touch to. touch, And he would go talk to them and give them a hug. And welcome them in to the home. Our Father, who art in heaven, and our Father who is in heaven. We have this idea that heaven is then and there. And the reality is, heaven is here and now. What if what if I were to say to you, we peaked? It's not going to get any better. Like, the way it was, that's as good as it's ever going to get. Like, the current political situation that we find ourselves in, that's the way it's going to be kind of from now on. The wars that are happening and the wars that are about to happen, oh, well, it's how it's supposed to be, I guess. It's not going to get any better. You get stuck in traffic all the time, your car won't start. There are all kinds of economic problems for us and around the globe. There are all these other crises that we watch on the news. If I were to say to you, like, that's it. That feeling you get inside of you, that hopelessness is what tells us that this is not our home. That something better is coming. But it's coming. We're not going. The Lord's Prayer is not permission to escape what's here. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, what you see around you is what it is. And so our job is to recognize that God is in heaven. This hopeful idea of heaven is here and now. So God, Father, the builder of the house, the creator of the space, the one who takes care of everything, the household is in order. We've messed it up, but we have hope because we know that you have bigger and better ideas. So there's the heaven idea. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When I was a kid, I was like, what in the world does hallowed mean? I don't even know if I knew how to say it. I don't even know what I was saying. But hallowed is a big, churchy, old English word for holy, which is another big, churchy English word. We don't really understand holy. Isaiah chapter 6 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. Holy is kind of like weight. It's something that's different. It's something hard to hold on to. It's set apart. You can think about holiness by thinking about those parables. Because the thing about the Lord's Prayer is that it's not like some pie-in-the-sky idea that we hold in our brain. Jesus' yoke is about here and now, feet on the ground. How do we make things right? So how do you think the household of God is ordered? And when I say ordered, like, understand, you probably know me well enough that you're like, I've actually never heard him talk about God as Father very often. Because this idea of father is very specific to Jesus' time. He, he could have easily used some other idea, but he was trying to get people to understand what, like, how a household worked. 
and that's what the kingdom of God is like. The Old Testament has all types of ways that it talks about God, and one of them is God as mother. There's a place where the Old Testament says that God welcomes God's children in as a mother hen welcomes in her chicks under her wings. I see that. When I see a sixth grader's mom, like, with just this pride on her face, I'm like, that's my kid playing with drums. It reminds me of God. How is God's house ordered? It's not about how much stuff is there. It's about the way the people in the house are treated. Because what happens in the Bible and what happens in our lives is that sometimes the more stuff we get, the crummier we become as people. The more stuff that we get and chase after, the more willing we are to step on people's backs and necks to get there and to get those things. The prophet Amos says, hey, you know what? God says to Amos, stop all the singing. Stop all of the cheering. Stop all of the talking. Stop all of that stuff. I don't want to hear another noise come out of your mouth until I see justice rolling down like a river. Until everyone has a home. And no one is forced out. And those who are forced out are welcomed into the family of God, into that household. That's what this prayer is about. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name in ancient times meant something. I think I was named what I'm named because my parents liked the sound of my name. Mostly, she's saying mostly. Sometimes we name kids based off of what the name means, but not if it's a dumb-sounding name. And if how many of you are teachers, it doesn't matter what that name means. You know that it means something else because you taught the kid named that that you don't ever want to be reminded of in your house. We pray to God that it's not our names, right? Names mean something. And in ancient times, the name that someone was given was a representative of, like, represented who they were. And so when Jesus says, holy is your name, he's describing the character of God as holy. So you'll remember Jacob, this is one of the ancient patriarchs, and he was named Jacob because he was deceptive and a liar and tricked people all the time. In fact, he got tricked a lot too because he was kind of dumb, but... He started off by tricking his dad into giving him his own, his brother's birthright. And then he tricked his brother, and then, and then he like went off, and he got tricked into marrying somebody that he didn't know he was marrying, and then he tricked her dad into giving him his other daughter. And it was just like this whole story of like lies and deception. And then all of a sudden, one night, Jacob is out on the plains, and he hears that his brother and his brother's army are coming towards him, and he gets scared. And he's like, oh God, like, you gotta do something, help me, because my brother's coming and, and I'm like, he's gonna slaughter me. I've ripped him off out of his birthright, I've ripped him off this other time, and he's coming, and this guy's a really good hunter or whatever, and he's gonna like 
tear me apart. Help me. And, and he falls asleep, and the angel of the Lord appears, and they have a wrestling match. And they wrestle all night long. And at one point, apparently, Jacob was a decent wrestler, and he gets the upper hand on God. And, and God says, let me go. And he goes, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And God goes, okay, I will bless you. Your name is no longer Jacob, the deceptor or the deceiver. Your name is now Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Your character has changed. Names meant something, and they still do. That's why teachers will name kids, their kids after some of their students. We create our own names now. Our Father. Our Father. We're part of this family. Who art in heaven. There's this hope-filled dream that Jesus has about what it might be like if the Father's household was here. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. And your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. When you start talking kingdom in ancient times, you're on the path to get murdered. Herod Antipas was the ruler of the region that Jesus was living in and doing his ministry in. Herod Antipas was a wicked, evil, horrible person. It's said that on the day he died, there were hundreds of people crucified inside of a stadium. And the reason they were crucified on that day is because Herod wanted there to be weeping and wailing in the city on the day that he died. They were innocent people. There was no reason to murder them. But Herod wanted people to cry and be upset on the day he died. He didn't care why. But he wanted there to be upset and turmoil when he died. That's the kind of person he was. When he heard John the Baptist start talking about this kingdom stuff, he had John the Baptist beheaded. The kingdom of God is different than Herod's kingdom. Herod's kingdom was built on power and money and influence. And the kingdom of God is built on giving up all of that stuff and God coming to earth like a little baby. I got to hold a three-month-old baby girl yesterday. She had she has no power. Like she had some sort of magical power over her mom and dad's face because they look at her and they're smile, they smile. They can't help it. But she has no power as far as like influencing me or you or the president or the president of other nations. We believe that God does. God's kingdom is like giving up all of that power and becoming more like a three-month-old baby. So when Jesus starts talking about this revolutionary kingdom of love, people start wanting to distance themselves from them because they know what's coming. That's our rabbi's yoke. Is that it's not all about like a mental belief it's about, like, what you do is what you believe. We can say whatever we want, but it's what we do that shows what we believe. There's a preacher I know that had a, had a sermon called, I Support Slavery. 
and he talks about like he's never once in his life worried about where his clothes were made. And by buying those clothes and never being concerned about it, he understands that he is literally supporting slavery. It's what we do that says what we believe. So Jesus would be living his life and someone would come up to him and say, so I heard that you healed someone on the Sabbath. What's that all about? So they heard that he had done something that said something about the Sabbath, like his action was saying what he believed about the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, well, you know, like for me, it's not that I was made to serve the Sabbath. It's that the Sabbath is made to serve me. And if I can't, and if I can't heal someone and make their life better just because the rule is you're not supposed to do that, then it's me serving the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath serving me. So yeah, you're right. Like, that is what I believe. I heal people on the Sabbath. Do you see what I'm saying? Does what I'm saying make sense at all? Like our actions say what we believe. That's what the Lord's Prayer is saying. That's what Jesus yoked was. Our Father, the creator of the house, that orders it all, who brings us hope because we understand this idea of heaven, that it gets better, that things can get better from here. You are holy because everything that you order is put into order well and we're with you and we're taking care of. And we want for the way your kingdom operates in heaven to be how it operates here on earth. And we understand that we have a role to play in that. Because if we're part of that household, if we live in those rooms and work in that courtyard, then our job is to bring people in who don't feel like they have a place. And we do that literally in the name 